Hi guys, welcome to Midlife Crisis, your gaming podcast brought to you by the middle-aged gamers. As per usual, uh, hosted by me, Francis, my trusty companion. Daniel. And once again, we've got our resident horror expert. Ben. Cool. So, a few things have happened this week. Uh, Nothing worth mentioning apart from the one thing we're going to mention a little bit later. Uh, And it kind of covers uh, a part of the topic which we're going to go over in today's podcast, which is going to be open world games. Um, but before we go into that, if we do the uh, the usual segment that we do at the beginning of podcasts, uh, what are you playing this week, Ben? Anything new? I took Star Wars Battlefront 2 again, and I'm really enjoying it. That's a funny coincidence, because I played through the single-player campaign this week, and uh, it, it was all right, it was pretty good. Strange ending, but, you know, not bad, especially for 12 quid. We, uh, I paid full price when it first came out. <laughs> so uh, I, I bought it I close think... to launch. I think I bought it for, I think it was around 20 quid because um, they had the whole fiasco with the uh, the microtransactions, so the price dropped really, really quickly. Um, I can't remember if I bought it before or after The Last Jedi came out, but either way, that's technically irrelevant, but I think it might have been after. And then... Everybody sort of hated The Last Jedi for no reason, and the price dropped. So, but yeah, it's great. I think me and Dan had a discussion uh, on the uh, on the weekend about the single player campaign being weirdly structured. Um, the fact that they've added random missions for the heroes just for the sake of putting like the level in the cave with Luke Skywalker, which I I kind of find a bit weird. Yeah, yeah it's, it's, a bit... it's a bit of a just uh, a, a tour of uh, Star Wars places. Um, and, and heroes. Some of those heroes are really well done. Like uh, their, their uh, special abilities really, really match up with who they are, uh, and, and scenes from the films as well. Yeah, I think. But there was one major lie in the whole advertising of the game. And what was that? What was the lie? You would actually finally get to play as the Empire. But then it's been good, but you know, like half of story, so it's kind of you're still playing the rebel. Yeah, so so spoiler alert, obviously if you haven't played uh the story player campaign, um like inexcusable, it's been out for over a year, but but yeah, so the basis is you play as I can never remember her name. I always I always say Jen Erso, but that's the bird from um from Rogue One, isn't it? Yeah, I did. Uh, yeah, that's, uh, that's the one. one. Um, yeah, so uh, you start off and she's part of um, sort of like the Galactic Empire. You think she's bad, and within like one mission or so, you, she's kind of like does a quick U turn. She's like, actually, I'm a good guy. I'm just kind of like infiltrating this base, and like she kind of has a a change of heart, doesn't she, straight away? And you're kind of like, oh, okay, so you're not actually a bad guy, which is a shame, really. Yeah, it does flip very quickly. Um, I don't know. It, it's still a pretty good game o- overall, uh, especially for twelve quid. But um, overall, there were kind of uh, tones of uh, 
Jedi Knight and, and things like that about it um, when you got to play Luke and uh, uh, other characters throughout the, the game. Um, it, it didn't have any big story reveals or anything like that. There wasn't anything game-changing for the, the, the Star Wars canon. No, I think it was a more but of a... It, it just adds to the canon, though. Yeah, it does. It definitely does. And I think the, the problem that a lot of people have with Star Wars is they add quite a lot to obviously the what's supposed to be canon, um, and a lot of people sort of try and disregard most of the stuff that comes after the original trilogy, which just just Star Wars fans just are really entitled nowadays, which just annoys me being like a big Star Wars fan. <laughs> but but yeah, it's it's a great game. Like multiplayer, it's really good. Obviously, it's very sort of battlefield battlefield esque. Um, but it's kind of cool that they added, uh, sort of like the prequel characters and locations and they seem to be adding to it uh obviously they can't charge yeah. for any dlc because of what happened so it'd be interesting to see if they make a new one or they just keep adding more to characters it. yeah i think the thing about the, one at clone, some point in the, the clone wars version of obi-wan i think and they're adding sort of clone wars characters so whether Django fett's going to be in there or, or i think we'll have to wait and see on that one um but fun fact, if you haven't seen True Blood before and you want to see the main character in Star Wars Battlefront naked, then that's the series to watch. But I'll just slip that one in there. Um, Game-wise for me, nothing's actually changed. Uh, I'm still playing Fortnite. Uh, weirdly enough, before we recorded tonight, me and Ben managed to get a win in duos, but we didn't actually manage to get any kills, which is pretty crazy. So zero kills, but we managed to get the win, which is pretty cool. Um, I did install south park stick of truth but i have yet to play it um other than that i i don't think i've actually played anything else this week which is a bit weird for me um i haven't gone back to rise of the tomb raider yet or i haven't actually gone back to no man's sky but it was my daughter's birthday the weekend so we kind of like got mixed up with that really but um so the main topic that we're going to be discussing today uh, off the back of a very important trailer that came out last week, we're going to be talking about open world games. We won't delve too much in like going far back into the main history of them because they go back a far distance, um, sort of like the, the SNES era games um, and things like that. But we'll kind of cover from like 2001 onwards when they became sort of like a mainstream thing. Um, so open world games, very popular. Um, they go back in time. Think games like Zelda and the top-down games kind of had a feeling of the open world, even though the map were quite limited. Um, flight simulators have always been open world, but they, you wouldn't really class them as the open world genre. It wasn't really until 2001 uh, when Grand Theft Auto 3 came out where they really sort of defined the current open world sandbox game that we all know. So I can imagine both of you have played like Grand Theft Auto 3 at some time in your life. Yep, yep came in my PS2. And what a game it one was. first games I got. Yeah. Still one of my favourite. Yeah, so... Out of the GTA series. Without a doubt. That and Vice City kind of like broke the mould for me. Um, obviously, open world games are very popular nowadays. Uh, they've kind of like changed... Uh, over the past sort of like 20 years, um, sort of like the content that you get, sort of the expectations that you get from people and what they expect to be inside an open world game. But Grand Theft Auto 3 was a very groundbreaking game, um, especially with 
the lack of limitations that you had in the sense of you can drive any car that you saw, you could shoot any person that you you saw as well. There was loads of different missions, side quests, that sort of thing. It kind of broke open the mould of what was possible in a 3D game. Because um, most games up until then were sort of very linear, especially shooter games and adventure games and things like that. So Grand Theft Auto as a whole, as a series, is obviously the market leader in open world games. Um, if we go into, say, favourite open world games and we'll sort of branch off from there what would you say your favorite open world game was dan um i think it's really tough because i can't really think of a game recently um that i've really really enjoyed that hasn't been uh, that hasn't at least had elements of open world in it um i think i would probably say it's got to be skyrim simply because of the amount of time i've spent in in that world the amount i've done there um, and The Witcher 3 was good, and uh, Fallout 3 was good. 4, not, maybe not so much, but yeah, it was my first platinum, so it's still got a place in my heart. <laughs> but I'd, I'd say Skyrim. What about you, man? Um, if I had to pick all-time favourite, it'd probably be Assassin's Creed 2. Good choice. Because I would class that as open world. I know it's not a massive map, but you can still go everywhere. Climb pretty much every building. I think it's definitely the, open world, yeah. And they added you could swim in it as well, so that was even better. Yeah, so Assassin's Creed 2. Um, I'm not proud of my first platinum trophy on PlayStation because it was for Terminator Salvation, and that game was absolutely rubbish. <laughs> um, weirdly enough, it was the weird, like the easiest platinum that I've actually got on my uh, my trophy list, mainly because you just had to complete the game. Um, I think it was something crazy like 12 gold trophies and one platinum. So you play through the game, you get the platinum, it's really easy. But the second uh, platinum trophy that I got, um, which is one of my all-time favourite, was for Assassin's Creed 2. Um, I remember staying up really late, collecting all the feathers, um, getting all the other sort of collectibles and stuff. And it was a groundbreaking game, uh, especially when it came out. The first one was good. The first Assassin's Creed game was good and we can't knock that game, but... The second one delivered, obviously, an amazing character, still one of the fans' favourite characters in any of the Assassin's Creed games. Um, and they added so much sort of depth to the combat. The combat, the, um, the parkour system was really good. But overall, the story was sort of quite engaging and made you want it to play to completion. Did you, did you ever sort of get a chance to play the second one, Dan? Uh, yeah, I think one of the main things that it... it um introduced was the um uh the npcs and the the people in the world the interactivity of the world was a lot greater than the many previous games um and i think that's something that has only increased over time and something that will potentially be a big thing for open world games in the future yeah so assassin's creed is one of the uh, the franchises that's in sort of like the the front spectrum of open world games. It's had so many sequels, um, most of them being really good. Uh, obviously, most recently uh, with Origins, it's kind of taken the Assassin's Creed format and kind of melded it with the like more of a traditional RPG elements, which I know you weren't too happy with, were you, Ben, when it sort of changed that like to the RPG elements? I. It's the only Assassin's Creed game I've never finished. 
I can't, I just don't like it for that pure fact of having to do so much before you get there. I know it happened in the first one. I know you used to have to like sneak around, like watch the people and then assassinate them. But this leveling up system, I just can't get on with it. Mm. And I think that kind of draws upon the problems that come with open world games as well. Um, Obviously, Assassin's Creed were traditionally like mainly story focused. They didn't kind of force you so much to do the side missions unless you wanted to. But I think the problem. That's what I loved about. Yeah, yeah, and I think the reason why I really enjoyed Origins and you didn't is because I'm so used to playing sort of like a traditional RPGs like Skyrim um, and like The Witcher Three and things like that where you have to do the side quest to level up. Otherwise, once you get to a certain point in the game, you will get your ass kicked by a really high-level guy like unless you level up. So for me, it was a right step in the di- uh, a step in the right direction. But for other people, and I've spoken to other people who've had the same opinion as you, Ben, especially with a franchise that's been going on for so long, is was it a change for the better? And... A topic we can kind of sort of go on to, branching off from that, is are some open world games, do they contain too much content? What do you think about that, Dan? Um, I don't know. Can you have too much content? If, if it's junk content, yeah, definitely. But um, if you've got lots and lots of good missions and good stuff to do, pace yourself, take your time and enjoy the game. Um it's when they try and put too much in and they end up putting in fetch quests again and again and again. Um, that that can be that can be a bit of a pain. Yeah, so I think it's a case of it's all a balancing act, really. I think, obviously, the reason why you didn't really like Assassin's Creed Origin, Ben, is because you were forced to do the side quests. There wasn't really a choice, was there? It was a case of you had to do right. them. There was no just do the storyline. And then you could go and do the tombs after or whatever, like in the second one. I really, I enjoyed doing, I know this sounds a bit hypocritical, but I enjoyed playing to finish the story, then going to get all the feathers and all that malarkey after I've completed the game. Yeah. I didn't could... feel like it was taken away from the story. Hmm. You could do it at your own pace, which is what you preferred. Yeah. Which is fair enough. And it's one of those sort of, arguments that you can have with many games in the open world uh, genre where there's so much content and not knowing how to sort of tackle that content sometimes the benefit that you get from like a linear adventure game is it's kind of holding your hand down a path it's showing you the story as it progresses and there's usually collectibles and things like that but that's an option that you don't necessarily have to take um but with other open world games in sort of like a similar vein like obviously the witcher 3 has had god knows how many game of the year awards and countless other game awards and that in my opinion is my all-time favorite open world game um really yeah i thought it'd be dragon age (laughs) yes right this is an argument i'll probably end up having with myself going back and forwards like dragon age inquisition of all the Dragon Age games, um, Dragon Age 2 was open world, but it wasn't because it sent you down a linear path, but we won't talk about Dragon Age 2. But Dragon Age Inquisition was amazing for what it did in the space that it had. So 
the different parts of the map that you go to were massive and they were quite well segregated in the sense of you start off in the hinterlands and that's a huge map which can take like 30 hours to complete and then you've got like the hub world that you go back to and you can go to different areas which were equally as big but the thing about the witcher 3 that i don't think any other sort of open world game has tackled as well is the side quests themselves have a contained story. I know um, CD Projekt Red had individual writers um, for the different side quests, uh, specifically like the Baron quest that you do quite close to the beginning. But what I find lacking in open world games is the interactivity that you have for the NPCs. They usually have like a really crap dialogue loop where you'll go up to them, they'll be like, oh, do you have any change or any spare food? And if you came back to them, they might have one or two different dialogue options, but that's all they're going to say to you. Whereas yeah. in The Witcher 3, it was very interactive. Like the world you'd walk past and they would know if you'd done something good or you'd done something bad. They wouldn't necessarily say the same thing over and over again. But when you're engaging with them for the side quests, like you could spend like two or three hours on one side quest and it would have as in-depth story as the actual main campaign. And that's the reason why I would say it's my favourite open world game of all time. So is the um, side quest longer than the actual story of the main game? The Witcher 3 you say is about a two or three. ridiculously long game. So it took me about 250 hours to complete the game. As in, like, the story, I was doing side quests and there's a card mini game which I got addicted to. Um, but there are <laughs> so many... So, like, the, the story, like, the main story is amazing. Really cool, really cool story. Um, but the side quests themselves are all sort of, like, contained entities. So one of the first ones that you do is called the Bloody Baron quest, where you meet a baron um, and his wife and his daughter have gone missing and you kind of... Uh, hired to go find them and you go on this massive quest and it has different endings in a way so i've played i played through the witcher twice um the first ending i got is like you don't find them they're dead so it's irrelevant um what you do but the outcome of how the baron sort of like interacts with you afterwards changes the second time round that i played the game um he approached me in a forest um, and basically said, what's happening with uh, you finding my wife and daughter? And obviously you giving some spiel saying that you've been busy doing other stuff. I'm a witcher. I've been fighting monsters, blah, 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 blah. So after he left me, I did another side quest. And um, a little thing popped up in my inventory because um, there's loads of reading that you can do. And it basically said, because you took too long to find the Baron's wife and daughter... Uh, he he felt hopeless. He didn't think you were actually going to help him, and like he ha like, he hangs himself in the wood. And I was kind of thinking, it's amazing to think that the the outcome of just a side quest that wasn't even the main story could change in such a significant manner just based on what I chose to do. Yeah, I probably only got an hour into The Witcher. That's how far I got. I think I killed like first beast or whatever it was. Yeah, the Griffin. Yeah, Why did you give up? The question you is, found, why did I'll, you give up? It's just before my son was born. So um... I think I got to, I've, I don't know, there's a follow some blood into a woods, it's, I think. Yeah, that makes sense. I, yeah, yeah. Yeah, yes. I don't know how far into the game that is, but 
I remember finding it, I did enjoy it because you actually had a conversation with people, but I just, it was too much, if you get what I mean. Yeah, so The Witcher 3 is an investment. Definitely, you need to invest a lot of time to enjoy everything that it has to offer. How did, how far did you get with it, Dan? I I wouldn't say I spent any more than 140-odd hours on it, so... Which is still a lot. Which is still a lot of hours. <laughs> still a lot of hours. Did you complete it, Dan? Um, yeah, I did, yeah. I completed the main quest line. I um, uh, played some of Blood and Wine. Uh, I don't think I completed Blood and Wine, which is one of the DLCs, um, which is apparently a really good DLC, so I do intend to go back at some point. But, um, yeah, I, I think I'm at a point with The Witcher where I just needed a little bit of a break because something else came out, I think. I can't remember what. And... Um, it, it just seemed like a good time to take a break and come back to the DLC later. Do you know you said about um, the some open world games having too much? Yeah. You got the opposite with some in you that's literally got nothing. Like, let's take Red Dead Redemption, seems we're going to talk about Red Dead Redemption 2. Uh-huh. The world is pretty much empty. Well, yeah. around in, in that in game. the Wild West. Yes, you know. so... I had a very heated debate about a month ago um, on the PS4 uh, photos, videos, and chat group that we're all members of. Um, my my comment was obviously I backed it up with saying like Red Dead Redemption is still one of my favorite games of all time. It's definitely in like my top twenty what games. But my comment was exactly the same as yours, Ben. I kind of said like the the towns that you go to are. Well established, they've obviously live in breathing towns, and I understand the principle that you're in the Wild West and there wasn't a lot going on, but you pretty much are just riding your horse for 90% of that game. And tying up people and put on the railway tracks. <laughs> yeah, yeah. there's actually a trophy for, uh, was it hog tying a, a female? Hog tying, <laughs> It has to be a woman, though. It has to be a woman, which obviously wouldn't probably fly. Uh, in this day and age, with all the political correctness and all that sort of stuff, but yeah, See, the reason I thought this is because going from GTA, which is a ramp up world, even San Andreas is pretty much thing to Red Dead Redemption. It's like, have they taken a step back or a step forward? Yeah, Red Dead Redemption was a very big risk um, for Rockstar. Obviously, there was. Red I loved Dead... the game. Don't get me wrong. Yeah. And I think a lot of people did. Like Red Dead Revolver came beforehand, but it was a PS2 game, so it was limited by its hardware. Red Dead Redemption Two, uh, Red Dead Redemption, the first one, sorry. Um, yeah, like in other open world games, if you're traversing an empty plane for too long, something would happen. Um, whether it be a random spawn or uh, a triggered event, in the sense of like two gangs would come together and start shooting each other. I think that's what that game needed to make it feel more alive in a weird way. Yeah. The towers are great because there's just run packed with loads of stuff to do. Yeah, like the, the, the mini games were cool, like the poker and yeah. the, the horse Getting drunk in the bar. Yeah. <laughs> but bring bringing us on to... Red Dead Redemption 2, we might as well sort of pull the cat out of the bag now. So, at time of recording, uh, last Thursday, I think it was, um, Rockstar dropped a six-minute 
gameplay re- gameplay reveal of Red Dead Redemption Two. It's the first official gameplay trailer that we've seen. Uh, apparently, there is another one to come before launch. Would be interesting to see. Um, it showed a lot. It did show a lot. What were your initial impressions, Dan, of the trailer? Uh, I was really excited. It, it, Red Dead Redemption Two was a game that I was kind of keeping an eye on, but I, it wasn't. And I know this sounds crazy, but it wasn't the top of my list. It wasn't the game that I was thinking, I can't wait for this to come out. And after that trailer, I think it is. I think it's the one, the game I'm probably going to spend the most time on at the end of this year. Yes. Especially in 4K, it looks phenomenal. I can imagine. Yeah, I can imagine. So I've not yet to invest in a 4K TV, but hopefully next year I can convince the the wife to... uh, to get one, but we'll see. But I came away with a lot from that trailer. I don't categorically pre-order games for the sake of... I know for a fact I can wake up the day it comes out, drive to a supermarket, and it will be there on the shelves. But yeah, this is probably the only trailer that's made me kind of... like I literally, as soon as I watched the trailer, I watched it again... I went onto Amazon just to see how much it was to pre-order. I didn't pre-order it, but I kind of like was there like with my thumb hovering over the uh, buy me now button <laughs> thinking, oh, but knowing my luck and knowing my uh, track record with pre-orders, if I ever do so with Amazon is it would not come the day of launch and that would piss me off greatly. Imagine. You, I've never had a problem with Amazon. Never. As a, as a general rule, neither have I, but knowing my luck, on that day where everybody's sort of tweeting out or on the Facebook feed, Instagram, blah, 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 any social media platform that you use, it's going to be Red Dead Redemption 2, isn't it? Flooded all over it. So, so yeah, so I, I haven't pre-ordered it, but I will get it. But one thing that I took from the trailer is how good the character animations are. Obviously, you, the graphics are going to be amazing looking at Grand Theft Auto Five and what... The, next, the past five years of work they've had since that came out, what they've had to like to, to work with, being in the next-gen or current-gen engine as well. Um, yeah, there's just little details that kind of jumped out at me. Um, there was an actual news article that came out today of saying that you can actually see the horse's testicles. And that just oh, goes to that. show... Yeah, and that just goes to show how much detail they've put into this game. What was the uh, what was the favorite thing that you got from the trailer, Ben? Uh, favorite, it's just like I know this is gonna sound really stupid. When she, the woman, or I think it's a woman talking, talking about like the shooting and how they've improved it to like make it more feel more r- real for that time period. Yeah. Because obviously the shooting felt a bit in Red Dead Redemption. I felt it felt a bit sluggish. Yeah, and I th- a bit I... too modern, a bit too modern for that time period. If mm. you get what I mean. Yeah, and a lot of people had uh, problems with the uh, the slow mo dead eye thing as well. And the weird thing about the trailer was the fact that they had a female narrating over it, basically just telling what was in the game, which was kind of cool because it yeah. kind of broke everything down. But yeah, she kind of said that there was improvements on the like the gun the gunplay and the the dead eye thing as well. Which, which I think is a main ingredient to Red Dead Redemption. Yes. Yeah, to improve it. If the world's going to be a lot more alive, and from what the trailer showed, there's 
so much more wildlife and the towns look vastly more popula- populated um, than they did in Red Dead, uh, the first one, or the second one, depending on how we're, uh, we're, we're saying it. But <laughs> the one, one minor detail that I got was the, the use of lighting in the trailer, sort of the way that the, the fog builds up as they're sort of riding in the dark and the lighting of the moon comes through all the trees. Like, volumetric lighting and fog isn't new in games, but the way that it looked, it, it looked really realistic. Yeah, and the um, the snow as well. Uh, the hoof prints in snow when they went to a, a snowy place was, was brilliant. Yeah, I, yeah. I like I liked as well the idea that you're going to have to look after your horses, um, and um, as well. So so if you if you look after your horse and treat it well, it's going to be less skittish when you get into a gunfight. Uh, I really like that, that idea because it's almost like these are living, breathing animals. You have to take care of them. Mm. Um, uh, and also a bit like the different cars in Grand Theft Auto there are going to be different types of horses that are going to be better for different things so you probably want to build up a, a bit of a stable yes yeah, so is it going to be too much though? I have faith in Rockstar and they know what they're doing I think that's kind of like where I stand with is there going to be too much content? I don't think this sort of game... Not content, I meant with the horse. It... Like, looking after your horses is going to be too much. It depends how far they go with it. As long as there's not, like, a survival mechanic where every, like, 500 metres you have to stop and, like, stroke the horse and give it water. Like, whether it's a case of if you stop off at a saloon or uh, something like that and you tie up the horse, you have to make sure there's water in the trough. I'm happy with that, but... But yeah, no, I get what you mean. As long as it's not a case of... Like, I don't want to turn off the game, leave for a week, and then come back and my horse is dead. Like a Tamagotchi. Yeah, I hope it's not a Tamagotchi, yeah. <laughs> There's been literally feces covering the screen and you're going to like, have to wipe it off and start again. But there's going to be elements of looking after it. Um, there may even potentially be some form of survival elements as well, whether because they hinted on... There's going to be like campsites that you can set up and the people that you meet mm-hmm. in the world, depending on how you interact with them, whether you are nice to them or unfriendly to them, um, they may join your camp. So whether it's a case of you have to keep uh, the main protagonist fed or watered, they haven't like delved into that yet. But a mechanic like that would be kind of cool. I think the one thing that the GTA games are lacking um and those sort of games, like the original Red Dead, is your character is there in the cutscenes, but he doesn't feel as alive as he should be, if you get what I mean by that. Mm. Yeah, I think it's about the persistence of the world. The idea that you're going to have to keep this camp fed and looked after, um, and and that the camp may have to move as well, based on uh, what's going on in the world. Mm. Um, I think there's, there's a lot of scope there to make it to make you feel like you're actually having an impact on uh, what is essentially a fake world. Yeah, because the one one problem that I get from open world games is sometimes you feel distant from the world in the sense of um, you're just there for a purpose and that's that's it really. Um, a good thing about sort of some RPGs is like you get to be that character and. The last thing I want it to be is like a survival simulator. I don't want it to go that far down the road, but I do want them to have some form of 
realistic elements when it comes to your character. They kind of had it in a weird way in, in GTA San Andreas where if you ate too much, you got fat. And if you got fat, you had to go to a gym to kind of like beef up again. Yeah. And that was, it was a crap mechanic and it didn't really work very well, but it was a cool idea in principle. Yeah, yeah, because you can see how sick and everything. Yeah, so whether they'll have because there's a lot of wildlife, whether you're going to have to hunt specific animals to get the pelts, and then go to a tailor in a town to be able to allow him to make you a say a leather jacket to be able to go into like the cold environments, things like that would be kind of a cool addition. I think Horizon Zero Dawn. Um, well, that what you were suggesting there sounds a lot like some of the stuff in Zelda, actually, the, the Breath of the Wild one. Um, but Horizon Zero Dawn did it really well recently with uh, different outfits for different environments and uh, and, and different gear for uh, different places in the game. Mm. Um, I think one one open world game that I think looks like it's struggling a bit um, is Crackdown for the Xbox. Yeah. Now, <laughs> it, <laughs> it's, obvious, it's obviously struggling. Yeah, anytime like, somebody re- says the name Crackdown, sorry, I just I just have to laugh to myself. So, yeah, carry on. The first one's really good, though. Well, it is. But I think they started building a, a true sequel to the first one, but actually time has moved on, and open-world games have changed quite a lot. Yeah. And I think they've, they've probably got quite a long way down the development line and looked at it and gone, well, this doesn't match. This just isn't a decent game. It's not a fun game, probably, compared to other open world games that are out there right now, um, let alone ones that are up and coming, like, um, I suppose, maybe Anthem or um, or, or, or the, uh, um, oh, I keep thinking GTA, but I, I mean Red Dead Redemption. Um I think I think that's probably why they've gone back to the drawing board a bit with it. I think the pro- the problem with Crackdown is obviously they've now been told they have to release it before the next uh, financial year starts. So at the end of March it has to be out. But a couple mm. of E3s ago they came out with a multiplayer trailer demo thing um, basically saying that everything is destructible but everything is controlled externally from the console via cloud computing. And I think that's where they really sort of like messed up in the sense of the development process because they have to have that in now. Like they probably don't have that in now, but the problem with them saying that this is the main feature of the game, they've probably gone six months, a year and gone, fuck, we can't actually do this, guys. Like there is no way, shape or form that you can have a map with, say, 50 people in. There's a cloud computing somewhere some major supercomputer that's doing all these calculations and then re-putting it into these 50 home consoles all across the world there's probably no way shape or form that they can do that and they thought how are we going to make this okay and their method of making it okay was to put terry cruz in the game and kind of like smoke and mirrors everybody and say nothing's nothing to see here but we've got this guy who like technically everybody likes if you know what i mean it's kind of like we have no idea what's happening with that game now i i think they may have even done it but just looked at it and played it afterwards and gone well it's not really fun yeah you can blow everything up but Mm. what's the point you know you can level buildings well great but you're supposed to be like a police force 
you know, he's supposed to be protecting people. So maybe the idea doesn't actually match up to the game that they were trying to build. No, and I, it's it, it's a Freud, it's a Freud, it's a, a phrase that I might coin, but what I would probably call that is the Saints Row effect in the sense of like the first two <laughs> Saints Row games were really good. The third one kind of like went off the rails a bit and after that it just really lost its identity of what the game was supposed to be and in doing so they tried to make the game fun but it lost all the fun that the game had originally and that's probably why they haven't actually made um, another Saints Row game yeah it, it kind of lost its direction I can see that yeah which happens in a lot of franchises and we see it um but talking about fun in games, especially with an open world game, there's one game that we need to mention that's coming out in September is the new Spider-Man game. Spider-Man. We kind of, we kind of talked is about it. Is there a new Spider-Man game? Oh, I, I, I don't know. There might be. Um, I'm sure Ben can tell us something about the Spider-Man game. We we kind of hinted on it in the last episode, but we didn't actually sort of go over it in detail. So kick us off, Ben. What are you looking forward the most, especially with the world? because that's what we're talking about when it comes to the new uh, Spider-Man game. I'm looking forward to like the interaction, because Spider-Man 2 had it good. They got it right there. You could interact with certain people, but each person now, I think they said there's pretty, you've got different scenarios coming up, obviously, random cop chases, which has always been fun in Spider-Man, but by the looks of the gameplay footage... They've really gone in on it. And I think you can pretty much scale every building now because there's always a couple of buildings you could never scale in a Spider-Man game. Yeah, yeah. So from what I've personally seen, uh, footage-wise, the the web mechanics are really cool. Um, and the problem that you find with a lot of those sort of superhero games, especially with some of the other Spider-Man games, is you only get a number or like a finite number of web slinging animations. But from what I've seen, a lot of them, they might be randomized. The The animations might be randomized, but it didn't seem like... I think they're upgradable. I think you upgrade to get certain web animations. Yeah, I which, think that... which would be cool. Because the last thing you want to do is every time you jump off the web, it's the same animation and it will just get samey and over and over and over again. But... I wonder mm. if they're going to tackle how the webs disappear. Have they tackled that in the movie? Because I, my always thought is like he's swinging all over the place. Nine times out of ten, he's probably not actually attached to something. But who cleans up New York City? Who does that? Well, the thing <laughs> is, if you delve into the Spider-Man lore, that his webs are dissolvable. They dissolve after a couple of hours. Yeah, that's what they say in the comics, anyway. Because it's always the question I have with all these superheroes is, like, like the damage that they cause, and there's no consequences. Obviously, they tackled it briefly in um, Captain America Civil War, but it's kind of like, Spidey's Spidey's a messy guy, you know? He just doesn't just uh, deliver pizzas or whatever he's supposed to do, whatever he's lying to uh, his auntie about. But one thing I'm oh. glad that's going to come out of the new Spider-Man game is Uncle Ben's not going to die again. So 
Well, the question is, is it going to be as good as Spider-Man 2? Yes. That's the ultimate question. Like, Insomniac have made some really good games, and, like, I have every faith. And I don't think Marvel, in the state that Marvel are now, wouldn't put the game or the franchise in anybody else's hands if they didn't trust them. Um, yeah. So, yeah. The, I, the outcome is yet to I be think, seen. Go on, ben. Go on, Dan. I think that's that's a, a, an interesting... Because you mentioned uh, so Insomniac are obviously developing that. Um, Sony has also got Guerrilla Games, uh, who developed Horizon. Um, Killzone and, and all that, didn't they? Yep. Um, and they've got Sucker Punch, who developed Infamous... And Sucker Punch are working on Ghost of Tsushima. Did I say yep. that right? Yep, I think so. Uh, Ghost of Toshiba, I think you said, yes. Um, <laughs> so The TV makers. Uh, it'll be interesting to see if that... Because it, it kind of looked like a, a Japanese witcher, didn't it? Uh, so I'm, I'm kind of hoping that's a bit open world as well. It's going to be... From what they've said, um, the developers basically stated that the open world, it's going to be fully open world. Um, the trailer that we saw for E3 was actually a side quest, but they were kind of saying that they've taken everything that they learned from the Infamous series, um, especially Infamous Second Son. Yeah. Um, and the map's going to be big. Uh, they, they kind of like focus more on the story than anything else because um, that's kind of what they're quite good at doing is sort of like character building and things like that. But the world's going to be quite vast not witcher 3 size but they said it's going to be quite vast so they've got a good track record uh sucker punch the infamous games are incredible mm. um second son was i want to say my first platinum on the ps4 it might have been resogun but but yeah i played that i played the first light expansion as well and got the platinum for that one as well and i absolutely love those games and i hope they bring them back after they've made Ghost of Tsushima because I'd love to see another iteration of that franchise come out again. It, it is interesting that a lot of the games that we've talked about have been single-player open-world games. Um, can, can you think of many multiplayer open-world games? <sighs> MMOs, obviously, is a given one. Um, uh, I suppose so, yeah. One doing really well uh, at the moment is... Uh, Elder Scrolls Online, which nobody thought would do as well as it has, but it's actually doing really well. Um, yeah, they kept plugging that. Yeah. yeah, they've got First the Destiny. Oh, I, I'm not going to say. Go on, Dan, back me up, Dan. Game. I'm not going to put that in well, the open world. Like, it has open world Bungie, elements, right? but the the map is so limited. And, and even Bungie won't call it an open world game. They call it a shared, shared world, world shooter. <laughs> yeah. Which like, just sounds shit. Anyway. Um... I, I get where Ben's coming from. Like, yes, the maps or the the worlds that you go to, the planets that you go to, the, the space that you have is big, but it's no way near in the sense of, like, you can go anywhere and do whatever you want. I think that's where it kind of, like cuts itself off from the open world definition. They were trying to go I... for it. They were definitely trying, but there was so much limitations. I think because they wanted to do too much with the gunplay. Um yeah. Oh, I just absolutely it... fucking hate Destiny so much. 
it, it's also not interactive. It's a world that you go to and you shoot stuff. Um, there are missions to pick up within those environments, but there's not really, apart from like one in, in Destiny 2 at each location, there's not really NPCs that you can go and talk to and get more information or, you know, it, it is there simply is, an environment to shoot stuff. There was a one NCP a week. <laughs> I don't think oh, they can, so they just like slipped one in, like, oh, there's, there's one here, yes. there's one here, guys. The the blue yeah. yeah. But but no, yeah, like um multiplayer wise, open world games. Oh. I'm just trying to think. there's gotta be there's gotta be some. I suppose like, there's the fun, final fantasy um 14. online is there. Yeah, that's there. that's more of a MMO dungeon crawler than anything else. The the world's open. Metal Gear Solid Five online. That's open world, just like the game is. Yeah, so it's similar to Grand Theft Auto Online, I guess, yeah. but it's more the the tacton multiplayer portion of the game, isn't it? More than the main game is like. Yeah. Ta- Phantom yeah, Pain okay. isn't co-op in like. I think that's what Dan was trying to get at was: is there like a co-op all the way through the story? Oh, co- uh, dying is dying light open world. Yeah, there you go. Yeah, that's a good one. Yeah. Dying Light, yeah. you can count that. Because that was pretty Because we had some fun on that when that came out. We, that's what we did. Yeah, I missed out on the trophy. That really annoyed me. And, like, it's so hard to try and get three people and you together to try and do, like, five missions in a row because everybody on the internet's a complete asshole at times when you try and do stuff like that. Um, but, yeah, Dying Light's a good example and it worked really well, especially with, like, the melee combat. But... That's one game that you could play in the entirety as a team. Um, I suppose the division in a way, but I suppose you'd probably say that's a shared world shooter as well. Um, yeah, to a large extent, I suppose there are uh, there are things to collect in Destiny as well, like the spin metal and all that on Earth. Um, it's a it's a big map. I think that's all it is. It's not an interactive world so open world i think the main thing there is world more so than the fact that it's just a map yeah are you gonna get like pedestrians walking around and you could like argue assassin's creed unity no that's definitely you can... game. that's definitely an open world game no no no, no, no. i know it's an open <laughs> world game but it's multi you can play it multiplayer can't you oh yeah yeah yeah, Same yeah, so, syndicate. yeah it had yeah. the uh the the tacked on co-op missions some of them were right i think unity gets such a bad rep but playing it now the fact that it's, it's like the bugs are patched out that's graphically that game is so beautiful and it's better i think it looks better than syndicate graphically. it does 100 percent. i think the problem that they had with unity going into syndicate afterwards is they didn't want to make the same mistakes that they did with unity so they dumbed down the graphics mm. slightly they did make the world slightly less populated, which made sense because the locations in comparison to obviously um, Paris being more populated than um, sort of Victorian London at the time because everybody was dying and they didn't live that long. But they made Syndicate more fun in a way, even though I got b- more bored with Syndicate quickly than I did with Unity, mainly because 
of the customization of Arno, who is the main character in Unity. Like you could make him look really cool, like with the different colors, and you can kind of do something similar um, with the characters Syndicate. But I just got bored really quickly, and I don't know. I can't pin my finger on the reasons why, but I just didn't really feel I Syndicate. Got, I got Unity the day it came out. It was the last Assassin's Creed game pre-ordered, and hmm. I didn't come across, there's patch day one obviously, but I didn't come across many glitches that people were claiming to come across. Like, oh, I haven't seen this. Unless I missed it because I was too busy focusing on like, the combat and stuff, but there's, I didn't really have a problem with the game. No, and I think uh, the problem with the internet, more so than anything, is one bad experience with a game can influence a lot of people like a screenshot can go flying around of i think the main one with unity was the people had no faces but you could see their eyes and yeah, they looked really weird which i've never seen i never saw that either to be honest with you whether it was patched enough by the time i got it but that will it's enough to put a lot of people off and open world games are always going to have glitches um i think bethesda uh, the main culprit for that but sometimes those glitches actually make games the reason why fallout 3 and fallout new vegas and skyrim when it first came out were so popular not mainly because they were amazing games but um the fact that some of the glitches were really funny yeah yeah they were um it, flying horses and skyrim were really good rather like that um uh, and occasionally when you hit a super mutant, they flew away incredibly in Fallout 3. Yeah, and similar if a, a giant hit you with his uh, like wooden club in Skyrim, you fly like a thousand metres into the air and then like, fall yeah. to your death, which is amazing. But I think nowadays people expect, uh, expect quality. Um, and you kind of mentioned it before uh, at the beginning of the podcast, Dan, um, of obviously... Uh, up-and-coming open-world games, um, one of them being Anthem. And it's going to be interesting to see how that game works, whether it's going to go down the route of Destiny and the division of being a shared-world shooter, but being made by a company, Bioware, uh, who made Dragon mm. Age and Mass Effect, um, and they're very notorious for the story-driven games their NPC dialogues, the quests and that sort of thing, whether they're going to go down the route of a, a traditional like open world RPG with the shooter mechanics? I, I'm not sure because a lot of people have left Bioware. A lot of the story guys have moved on and they've hired in a lot of people who used to work on Call of Duty. Uh, obviously, Bioware um, can... Uh, well. Who are Bioware part of? Are they part of EA? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Or yeah. yeah. The enemy. And they, they, they've they been uh, sort of leeching resources and, and people, uh, or, or so I've heard, from other departments within EA who are related to shooters. So I'm concerned. I'm thinking I want to see some reviews. I want to know about the story before I go into it. I think the shooting mechanics are going to be great because they've got the right people there. Um, but I, I'm not so sure on the story. But yeah, it'd um, be interesting. Go on, man. It can't be a Destiny killer anymore because Destiny's already dead. Destiny was dead on arrival, oh. boys. I hate to uh, break the bubble for you, but you know, Destiny was dead before it even came out. But oh. uh, let's let's look at some stats for a sec. Oh God, here we go. Now, I 
I have stopped playing Destiny uh, and Destiny 2. Um, although I think I'd be more likely to go back to Destiny 1 than Destiny 2. But anyway. Destiny um, 1 is better than Destiny 2. I'd agree. But um, I have was reading the other day and they still have over a million daily players on Destiny 2. Now, that's not a dead game. That's that's that they're still Activision is still made last year they made four billion in a year from their microtransactions alone on games. Um so they must be doing something right. Um and, and to keep a million players a day, that's that's a fair that's that's the same as like that's the same as PUBG uh, is, on Steam. Is that a milestone figure, though? That, that can't be, like, concurrent users every single day. That seems super high to me. That's that's allegedly average number of users per day okay. worldwide. Okay. But um, me and you seen it. all platforms. Dad, me and you seen it. We love Destiny 1 to pieces. We were so excited for Destiny 2. And it just didn't deliver no, for me it didn't. No, but there there must be a million people at least worldwide across all platforms, PC, Xbox, and PlayStation who who it did deliver for. And it's if the same game. Just strip loads, back. Carry on. Yeah, it's Destiny like, One, but even worse. Whether it's whether it's a loyalty thing, um, or that's the only game that they own. Like it'd be interesting to know the reasons why, because that just seems. Ridiculous like ridiculous to me but that that's my I spent 80 quid on that game yeah. I spent 80 quid on I don't play it I I think we'll see after Forsaken and the new year uh, pack launches oh, we'll, we'll see how many people the drop game... off yeah basically if people drop off after that quickly and, and if they mess this up I think they're going to be in trouble and they're probably going to you know wrap up the uh, production for destiny 2 yeah. and, and try and move on um how that works because they've got a uh deal with activision for three games um i don't know <laughs> but, but um, it's meant to be a 10-year plan isn't it 10-year that's what they said originally destiny yeah plan. Oh, we're going yeah. into year five so you know yeah they could do whatever they want at the end of the day they can probably potentially sell the Destiny name to Activision and wash their hands and leave and go back and make a decent Halo game. But they'll never do that. Mm. But we'll see. Yeah. yeah, we'll see. I think the main issue for me and probably with a lot of consumers nowadays is a lot of the games that are coming up in the similar sort of genre of the shared world shooter, all the DLC is going to be free. And that's a trend that a lot of companies are taking mm. nowadays especially with how big, like, you cannot discuss any form of game that has any implementation of aftermarket um, purchases, microtransactions, anything like that without mentioning Fortnite because it's an absolute steamroller of a game in the sense of it's free, but it doesn't force you to buy stuff. Like, obviously, me and Ben play it on quite a regular basis, and we've got down to the point now where we've spent say seven ninety nine on the battle pass and if you do it strategically and sensibly that's all you have to pay for that game and you get stuff from the mm. game because you gain in-game currency uh under the assumption that you're actively playing the game um and after a certain rank you get and it's not that hard to achieve you get enough in-game currency to then buy the next season's battle pass but what they've got 
really like they've done really cleverly is the thing that you buy is just cosmetics skins there's no game enhancement but everything that you see is really cool like some of the stuff that you see in the game you're like oh like i haven't seen that before and that dance is cool i i, I can't believe i'm actually saying stuff like that but i understand how they've got the grip on the market and I can't remember the stat that I heard, but I think it was a case of money spent on other games has gone down something like 40%, but the share market of microtransactions has actually gone up year on year by 10%. So without Fortnite being in the market, whether the, if they weren't there, it wouldn't have changed, but that's a different argument. Like they've taken over. So they kind of... They're bringing out merch as well. I saw it today at work. Yeah. You can get like a school bottle that looks like a chug jug oh right that's pretty cool <laughs> Go there, direct me i might have to uh purchase one of that but it's the trend like they if you're going to have microtransactions you're going to have to do it smart and i don't think activision or bungie have done it in a smart way um they're making yeah. money but in my personal opinion it doesn't seem like they've done it in a smart way with the dlc but we'll see with the forsaken so before we wrap it up, there's one thing that I wanted to sort of discuss before we go. Um, if you could have an open world game, what would it be? Like, what game would you make? I'll kick it off because obviously we didn't actually script this or rehearse this or I didn't actually mention it like we usually do before we do a podcast. But I was thinking about it um, whilst I was at work today uh, and I've had a discussion with uh, one of my colleagues in the past. But if I was to do an open world game, I would make a Harry Potter game. So imagine we're doing an elevator pitch on Dragon's Den. This is how it works. So you start off um, as young Harry uh, in the uh, the cupboard under the stairs. You do the whole nonsense with getting the letters from the owls. Um, you go on Hogwarts Express and you end up in Hogwarts. And that's kind of where the game opens up. Um, so the world would consist of Hogwarts and it would be like whole Hogwarts massive. Um, obviously the outskirts of Hogwarts where Hagrid lives and then you've got um, is it Hogsmeade? That's what it's called? Yeah. Happy out boys. Yeah, so you've got that and then you can also travel to different hub worlds so you could go to like Diagon Alley and things like that um, and I just kind of thought like the things they could implement in that game would be incredible uh, so you start off as young Harry or whoever if you wanted to create a character that's how it would work um so whether it be a case of you start off as harry go to hogwarts and then it goes to a character customization screen and you can become a student and you, a bit like bully in a way where you could do all the lessons and that sort of thing and then once you progress uh, and you you graduate you then go out into the open world and become either um one of the death eaters or part of the uh the the, the agency i could always forget the name um, Ministry of Magic. Ministry of Magic, that's the one. Yeah, so that would be my ideal open world game. So, any publishers, if you're listening, copyright, Francis, oh, that's me, that's all me. Um, so, if you could have a game made from anything, um, what would it be, open world wise? Um, it, it, it would have to be something like, like your, your Harry Potter one gives you something fantastical, something amazing about it. I think um, Grand Theft Auto sort of simulates a, a real-ish world, but the amazing and, and or if you think it's amazing, uh, the, the sort of fun 
thing about it, and I'm putting air quotes around that, is that you can go out and do what you want. You can go on a crime spree or whatever. I'm not saying crime is fun, kids. Um, but you, you have to put something fun in there. So making your open world game office simulator, it's probably not the greatest idea in the world. Um, nobody actually wants to sit at a desk all day. <laughs> uh, I don't think so, anyway. Um, so it, it's got to be something that's that's really really fun and the the earliest kind of thing that i can i can remember um really getting engrossed in and, and getting deep into was and i know there's been a lord of the rings uh, online game on pc yeah. um but i i would like to see either a, a proper massively multiplayer dungeons and dragons uh, on console um, with current production values, or, or a Lord of the Rings type game, um, so so that you can really take on a role within that world and, and be out of your own skin, and and just go and explore and, and do your own thing. Yeah, I think the Lord of the Rings uh, franchise would work really well in the sense of you could be any of the races, good or evil. Um, obviously, mm-hmm. you could either start in Hobbiton or you could start in the depths of Mordor or whatever, and then make your path so there's so much you could do with that franchise so that would be a really good good idea to be honest with you i'm a big fan of lord of the rings as well and you can delve into it so so well especially with like the magical powers or obviously the strength of the dwarves and like the cunning so a rogue would probably be a hobbit and then obviously you've got like the elves would be the more magical types and things like that and it would yeah 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 that'd be amazing I think I think though as well with the ability with modern how close PS4s and Xboxes are to PCs with their internals, I I would really like to be able to plug a keyboard in and play World of War, Warcraft, um, preferably without a subscription because we all already play to get online. Mm-hmm. But if they had regular content packs or even some kind of microtransactions, I wouldn't mind that at all. Um, they've got all that content there already. And, and with the latest update, it's, it looks really good. Yeah. I don't think it would take that much to port it across. No. So, have you played that Terror game yet? Uh, yeah, I thought it was all right. It, I think it was, that's as close as we've got to a World of Warcraft-style game on the PS4. That and mm. Neverwinter, kind of, in a in a weird kind of way. Neverwinter's all right, but it's a lot of fetch quests. Go and get this, come back. Yeah. Go and get another thing, come back, you know. And eventually you might get to fight a dragon, and that's kind of like what tries to keep you in. Yeah. What about you, Ben? What would be your, if you could turn a franchise or an idea into an open world game, what would be your choice? Well, I've got two in mind, but they've already discussed in the past about doing a Resident Evil one. Mm-hmm. They was going to make a Resident Evil open game before they made 7. I think that's what turned them before it changed, or oh, we want to go back to the roots or whatever. But I don't uh-huh. think there's been a Star Wars open world game, has there? Well, it was Knights of the, Knights Old, of the Republic. Old Republic, yeah. But it was very basic because of obviously the, the time that it came out. Yeah. Oh, remaster of that or something then. Yeah, then there was um, Star Wars. Was it was it the Old Republic? 
Yeah, yeah, the Old Republic was like the latest one that came out. Yeah, um, and there was Star Star Wars Online as well, which kind of fell to a PC there. thing. Was it? Yeah, PC, like, yeah, Star Trek Online did really well, and it's still going strong. But the Star Wars one didn't do too great. But um, there's a few games still to come out in the AA catalog uh, with the Star Wars franchise before Disney like quickly take it away from them so whether they go down the lines of an actual open world game um i know amy henning the the director uh, and creator of the first three uncharted games was making a game before she got i don't know if she got fired or she left there was a big hoo-ha about that but that was going to be in the vein of like an uncharted style star wars game so whether that was going to be open world or not like it will never know but that's the kind of franchise that would be really great and you could do a lot with the uh, with the Star Wars license as well. Mm. Um, the only other game or style game that I would make before we leave you is a game that I have always spoke to about my with with people that I've spoken to computer games and the games that I've wanted since I was probably about I don't know how old I was when the first Grand Theft Auto came out. But um, is it's kind of been done but not well. So a Lego Grand Theft Auto game. Um, and the principle in my mind of how it would work is you could build whatever you wanted to build out of the blocks that you can build. And you can kind of do that in the Lego's world game. But imagine you're driving a car down the street like you do in Grand Theft Auto and you choose to wrap it around a, a lamppost and it smashes up. So all the Lego bricks go flying. Um, you jump out the car and you have a choice to rebuild the car the way it was or you can build or you can pull out say uh a manual and you can flick through the manuals and you can change the car to a different car or with the pieces that you've got at hand you can manipulate them so you can say add a spoiler or change the way that the bumper looks and you can do that with everything so you do that with your house like the place that you live or like if you're building an office space and it would have different things like space you can have that because there's so many franchises in the lego world that you could sort of play upon but that's always been the game that i've always wanted and they kind of haven't they've made so many lego games and they kind of came close with lego undercover but they just haven't made the game that i've wanted them to make yet <laughs> yeah that, that does sound good i like the idea of having like a manual and you can just pick out what pre-built models um I wonder if you were a couple of pieces short, you could still build it, but it would like maybe be a bit bumpy the ride or something. Yeah, that would be cool. Or like your house is slightly crooked, or yeah, but we'll see. Whether they do like eventually like a Lego Online, um, that'd be amazing to see. Um, but yeah, so open world games uh, are here to stay. They've been around for a long time, and they're only getting stronger, more in depth, uh, a lot more interactivity. Uh, the stories are getting greater and obviously the main one uh, to come out is going to be Red Dead Redemption 2 and Spider-Man. So I'm sure when they come out, we're going to be discussing them more. Um, but until then, uh, as per usual, if you do have any questions or any topics you want us to cover in future, please let us know. We are on Facebook. Uh, if you just search Middle Age Gamers, you'll find us straight away. Uh, and obviously you're listening to us somehow. But we are available on multiple podcast platforms, including Spotify, uh, iTunes, Google Podcasts, and probably every other one that you search for. So let us know if you've got any questions for next time. But until then, it's bye from me.
It's buy it's from me. me. <laughs> every time, every time you have to cut each other off. So from next time, if we uh, we'll we'll set a format of who says buy first. But either way, it's buy from all of us. <laughs> Cheers. Bye. <Toodle> pip. <laughs> <laughs>